Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is August the 6th, 2021, uh, and the beat goes on. I thank you so much for joining me. I hope all is well in your world. Um, But boy, oh boy, um, (laughs) the hits just keep on coming, as they used to say on the old rock uh, stations I used to listen to when I was back in high school. And indeed, they do. Uh, And so much of this is the direct result of decisions being made by the Biden administration. Uh, It's just impossible to avoid what should be the obvious. The Biden administration appears to be literally hell-bent on taking down America's borders uh, and turning the immigration system into, uh, for lack of better words, should be perhaps called a free-for-all, a free-for-all, a state of anarchy, Uh, where the laws that we're talking about constitute America's first and last line of defense. This isn't a statement of xenophobia. It's a statement of reality. And and I'm going to keep making this point, and it's something that I really want you to take to heart. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, that's Title VIII, United States Code, 1182, list the categories of aliens who should not be permitted into the United States. And contrary to the lies and the nonsense and the Orwellian garbage that we're hearing constantly, it has nothing to do with race or religion or ethnicity. In point of fact, if our laws made those distinctions, I could not personally have enforced those laws for 30 seconds, let alone the 30 years, Uh, that pretty much covered the span of my career with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service. So I I urge you, after the program, go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, or check out my articles, because frequently I include a link to that section of law because it is critical to understand it. And it disproves um, whatever you're being told by the mainstream media and the globalists. The first category of aliens who are inadmissible are aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases. And by the way, the Biden administration uh, wants to impose a requirement that any aliens who come to the United States legally be vaccinated against COVID. I actually agree with that. I actually agree with that. The other category of aliens are aliens who suffer extreme mental illness. They tend to be the you know, violent, sociopathic individuals. They are to be kept out. Why? To protect American lives and the lives, and frankly, of everybody in the country. Mass murderers don't check citizenship before they pull the trigger. So it's about keeping out people who are violent, people who are sex offenders, people who are criminals, people who are spies, people who are terrorists, human traffickers, drug smugglers, people who are fugitives from justice, Nazi war criminal fugitives, not many of those bums left, but there still might be one or two floating around proving that the good die young and the dirtbags seem to live forever. And then we get to aliens who, if they worked, 
would displace American workers and or drive down wages for those people who were similarly employed and aliens who would become a public charge if they came here, meaning that we would have to pay for their upkeep. What's wrong with that law? Who could take issue with it? I mean, this is all part of the lunacy of defund the police. It started with immigration. It started with sanctuary cities. And I, and I privately said to some friends, you know, if they're going after immigration law enforcement, how long before they broaden the scope of their insanity and their push for anarchy? Well, we're there, aren't we? Defund the police. Open up the borders. <clears throat> Critical race theory. White people are terrible. Black people are the victims. Wow. How do you hold people accountable for those things that are beyond their control? Why don't we impose a height limit? You know, taller people tend to do better. Shorter people don't do. We're going to, we're going to have all kinds of stuff. This is divisive. It's corrosive. It's antagonistic. And it doesn't look to solve problems. The civil rights laws were enacted to right wrongs that were committed. Was America wrong for imposing slavery? Absolutely. Was it wrong for segregation? Absolutely. But if you take slavery out of context, then you ignore the fact that most of the world practiced slavery. And it was America that ended slavery. But get into the facts, because that goes against the narrative. And how do you hold Americans today responsible for slavery or segregation? In fact, my family didn't come to America until after the turn of the last century. What did my family have to do with slavery? Nothing. So how many other Americans have similar family trees? And do we ever hold the children responsible for the crimes of their parents? Do we hold children responsible for the crimes of their grandparents? Do we hold children responsible for the crimes of their great, 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 great grandparents? Of course not. We generally hold people accountable for their actions or their lack of actions, not because of a superficial factor such as race or religion or ethnicity. And I'm Jewish, and I can tell you, I've experienced anti-Semitism, and it's ugly and it's stupid. And if you look at so many Americans, whatever the ethnic group, whatever the background, at some point in time, I can assure you, they probably suffered because of stupidity and bigotry. Bigotry, unfortunately, is, is, is a disease that runs through the human species, and it should be eradicated. All bigotry. And singling out whites versus blacks is another form of racism. It's got to stop. You know, I, I'm actually thinking of writing an article, not about critical race theory, but critical thinking and critical empathy theory. Life is a tough proposition. And I've lost family members to cancer. Knock on wood, I'm a cancer survivor. And I remember when I went for my scan so that we knew whether or not, or the doctors would know whether or not they could do surgery to save my life. And you're lying on this machine that's making all these noises. And as I'm lying there and the machine is scanning me, the thought going through my mind was how many people have been on this machine the way I am and did not survive. It's very chilling, very sobering. And when I came off the machine, there was another guy sitting in the same area who had just been scanned also. He happened to be black. I don't even know his name. And we hugged each other. He looked at me. I looked at him. And both of us had tears in our eyes because we both knew that we were in a fight for our lives. I don't think he saw me as this white guy or I saw him as that black. 
we were just two men scared to death that we might be getting basically a death sentence because of that dreaded disease, cancer. So much more unites us than divides us. That's what we should be focused on. My dad used to say to me that life is supposed to be a team sport. We should be helping each other out. We know how frustrated we get when we're on the highway and there's supposed to be a one-for-one merge, and there's always some jackass who says, I'm not going to let you get in front of me. And you think to yourself, what's wrong with this guy? What's broken in his head? We're supposed to be cooperating with each other. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. We should be looking to help each other. Life is a tough proposition. One of my favorite bumper stickers says, be kind to the people you meet. You don't know the battles they're fighting. That's very true. So to see Americans turning on each other or being taught to turn on each other by a screwed-up school system and a racist theory of critical race theory that if you know someone's race, you don't need to know anything more about them. You know all you need to know. I thought that was called racism. And I thought that decent, fair-minded people were trying to eradicate that scourge, aim it in a different direction, but strengthen it, which is what critical race theory does. It's important to understand the mistakes of history, but I find it remarkable that even as we're being taught about critical race theory in the 1619 Project, that the lunatics are trying to cancel our history, tear down history so we don't learn from the mistakes that we've made in the past. We should be studying history so that we don't keep putting our hand in the fire, so that we don't keep on suffering uh, the consequences of not learning history's lessons. You know, we either study history and learn from the mistakes or we're doomed to repeat history. We should be looking at every human being as our brothers and sisters. Yes, a binary choice. God only knows they're going to probably say terrible things because I said, you know, men or women or whatever. Uh, This is crazy stuff, folks. It really is. I, I don't care what your sexual orientation is. That's your business, just as you shouldn't care what mine is. Um, there are certain things that are supposed to be private. We're supposed to have freedom, and we're supposed to respect each other, irrespective of all of those issues. We need critical respect theory. Respect your fellow human being. That's what I taught my children. Respect other people. If you want to gain respect, you have to give respect. My dad taught me, and my mom taught me, they said, you know, don't respect us simply because we're your parents because it doesn't take much for a woman to give birth. We hope you'll respect us for the kind of people we are and the way that we've raised you, the kind of parents that we are. And I have to tell you, I lost them when I was in college, lost them both to cancer within a year of each other. I still stand on their shoulders because they did, in my judgment, such a magnificent job, and they had a tough time of it. My mom came as a 13-year-old ahead of the Holocaust, lived by herself in a rooming house at the age of 13, couldn't speak the language that she supported herself by working in a sweatshop, making umbrellas at the age of 13, and she made all of the $3 a week. My dad was born here, the first of his siblings to be born in America. He was a construction worker, a plumber, eighth-grade education. And I have to tell you, the tradesmen who built this country Wow, they are awesome. They are talented. They are vital. They are essential. 
if it weren't for those construction workers, we'd all be sitting under a shade tree somewhere. Think about that. Think about that. The elitist mindset, the the uh, mindset filled with hatred and divisiveness. Uh, and I have a simple question for those people that dislike America and dislike capitalism. What would you offer as an alternative? Show me a shining example of a communist country that was a success, where people flocked to that country because they said, wow, I want in, they're doing so well. If you think back to the days of East Germany and West Germany when that wall went up, East Germans, the communist side, lived in poverty. The Stasi, the secret police, clamped down on them with an iron fist besides the Iron Curtain. People died trying to escape from Germany. And then the idiots who wanted to push back against the wall that President Trump wanted to build would say things like, well, Germany had a wall. Yes, they did. But the German wall was designed to keep people in, not keep people out. Jails have walls. So does the White House. Are you going to tell me the White House is a prison? I mean, think about it. These are nonsensical arguments, and yet people will say it. It goes back to this theory of the big lie. You tell a lie, you repeat it frequently, and pretty soon you will find some fools that will assume that that lie is the truth. It becomes common knowledge. Yes, there was a wall in Germany, and now Trump wants to build a wall in America. Yeah, well, the wall for America was to protect America from people coming in without inspection. And that wall, by the way, was not designed to stop people from entering the United States. If that was the reason for putting up a wall that would have blocked off the ports of entry. I've talked about this before. But I want you to understand the stupidity. And there are people who actually believe this. I would attend speaking events, and people would stand up and say, that's a wall of hate, Mr. Cutler. They're trying to keep the Mexicans out. And I said, really? How is that? Well, why else would they put up a wall? I said, to make sure that everyone goes through a port of entry so they can be inspected. A record can be made of their entry. We can make certain that we don't have drugs and contraband and weapons coming into the United States. The border wall does not block off ports of entry. You know, if you go to the baseball stadiums, right, or football stadium, they have gates that you're supposed to go through. You buy a ticket. They probably use a magnetometer these days with all the crazy stuff going on to make sure you don't have a weapon. And they welcome you into the ballpark, don't they? But there's fences around the playing field. Why? Are they trying to keep out the fans? Of course not. If they kept the fans out, they'd go out of business. They depend on the fans to pay to get in to see the game and to buy the food and all the other stuff that goes along with running a baseball stadium. So there's a big fence that blocks the field off so people don't run across the field and interfere with the game and get in without paying and get in without being searched to make sure they don't have weapons. And then you have the gates, and you go through the gate, you buy the ticket, and they say, welcome to the ballpark. That's exactly how America's ports of entry operate, isn't it? But if you listen to the nonsensical argument, Oh, my God, a wall on the border. It's a wall of hate. They should be ashamed. This is a terrible thing. Well, I guess we should be tearing down the fences that protect the ballparks from intruders, you think? Maybe we should take down that big fence around the White House. Really? How does that work out? 
understand the fake arguments that we've been subjected to. And so you have Joe Biden on the one hand who says we shouldn't be allowing aliens into the country if they don't have the, the vaccine. Okay. Meanwhile, we're going to make Americans be vaccinated. We're going to try to persuade them any way we can. The military is going to demand that the enlisted men and women, that the members of the armed forces all get inoculated unless they have a health issue where they can't take the vaccine. Every member of the armed forces will have to be vaccinated. Okay. And now they're talking about masks. And they're talking maybe even about lockdowns again. Okay. But at the same time, the Biden administration is dumping hundreds of thousands of aliens into the United States who have not been checked for COVID. In fact, it turns out many have COVID, not been vaccinated. So we're supposed to try to create herd immunity by making sure that everyone's vaccinated while we bring in hundreds of thousands of people who have not only not been vaccinated but likely carry the disease. Does this make any logical sense to anyone? I defy anyone to stand up and make a case for that policy of permitting aliens to come into the country illegally and then turn them loose so they can disperse themselves across America while we're fighting a COVID pandemic. I I want someone to explain it. And what this really is, folks, besides um, obvious stupidity, It's a case of, for lack of a better term, and I'm going to borrow George Orwell again. You know, for the longest time I was on a campaign to get people to stop using the two-word term political correctness. Oh, we're being too PC, too politically correct. Really? Political correctness gives the illusion that we're being polite. We don't want to use language that offends people. Well, I agree with that, by the way. I told my children. I don't ever want to hear the words of hatred in my house. Frankly, I don't care about body parts. You know, everyone's got a backside. Everyone's got elbows. We all have all sorts of body parts. You may disagree, and that's cool. As Americans, we're entitled to disagree, and I don't want to go off and sound like George Carlin. But we all have body parts, and we all go to the bathroom, and we all have the same biological functions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those aren't curse words, at least to me. To me, the N-word is a curse word. Words of hatred and bigotry, those are the real curse words. And I have no tolerance for those words. I have a zero-tolerance policy towards that. And then we're told what hate speech is. So if you dare use the word alien, you engage in hate speech. God knows what the repercussions are. How dare you use the word alien? The word alien, in reality, is a legal term. And according to the Immigration and Nationality Act, the term alien is defined as any person not a citizen or national of the United States. That's the definition. Any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. I didn't make it up. It's in the Immigration and Nationality Act in the section called definitions. You can't enforce laws until you define the terms. If you go to the firearm section of law, they will tell you what a firearm is. If you go to the drug laws, they will define what a narcotic is. You have to. How can you charge somebody with possessing a firearm if you don't define what a firearm is? Or a dangerous drug if you don't define what a dangerous drug is? So how can you deal with aliens if you don't define what an alien is? And there's no insult in the word alien. Pardon me. So it's about clarity. Con artists always avoid clarity. They obfuscate the truth. And when they call this misuse of language being politically correct, that's garbage. It's Orwellian newspeak. 
to alter the language, to alter the thought process and understandings that people have of critical issues. Orwellian newspeak. And more and more I'm hearing people referencing Orwell and fewer and fewer people talking about being politically correct, and I like that. I don't hear about the PC police so much anymore because the PC police really are the thought police. If you want to understand the tactics of the radical left, I know everyone has books they want you to read. Read 1984. Read 1984. You will understand the thought police. You will understand the use of language. You will understand the tactics of the left. And, in fact, I'm, I'm happy that people are tending to say politically, are not saying political correctness, but they are saying newspeak. Really important. So now there's a new word that I'm going to throw in to, um, and by the way, George Orwell was really brilliant. He described political language as the political language is designed, these are his words, to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable and to give an appearance of solidity to pure wind. Right? And that's what they're doing. So we're going to get rid of the word alien. Oh, by the way, there is an exception. Guess where the term alien is welcome in the discussion? If you don't know this, you're going to be amazed. But we all know about the dreamers. And it's funny how people forget that the DREAM Act was actually an acronym. They took the letters to spell DREAM as in the American dream, the dream that Americans may dream about but probably are not likely to attain. We've never seen a situation such as we're in now where children have lower expectations of success than did their parents. Normally, in America, each generation did better. We're going backwards, folks. Now each generation will do worse. Immigration plays a major role. So it's ironic that while we hear about the dreamers, because they aspire to the American dream, even though they're not Americans, we have the DREAM Act, and we have the Dreamers, and DACA, which rhymes with CACA, Deferred Action Childhood Arrival. I'm not going to spend much time on that except to tell you that I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine. I discussed it last week about how a federal judge said that uh, Homeland Security, DHS, may not continue to accept and process applications for DACA because he felt that it was an overreach by the executive. And if you go to my article, I ended with an interesting quote from Mr. Obama about what his limitations were. He made that speech before he then unilaterally went ahead and created DACA. Lots of hypocrisy here. But the term alien actually shows up in DREAMers because DREAMers or the DREAM Act is really an acronym for Development, Relief, and Education of, are you ready for this, alien minors. E-R-E-A-M, and the A is alien, Development, Relief, and Education of Alien Minors. So now the word alien was acceptable because they needed that letter A and the word alien to create an acronym that went back to this narrative they're creating about the American dream for people who shouldn't be here. Truly remarkable. Read the article to see it's not really about children. This was just a ploy. It was a way of misleading people because they know that Americans traditionally have a very big, fat, soft spot for children, which we should. It's a measure of America's decency and morality that we do have soft spots for children. There are so many cultures around the world where children 
are, are, are considered property, and the parents are happy to sell their children off to, to work in factories or even work in brothels, believe it or not, in parts of the world. The rest of the world doesn't necessarily operate the way that America does. That's why we've always been the shining example that others aspired to. Maybe not so much anymore. Maybe not so much anymore. I can't tell you how many times in recent years when I was asked to go into a TV studio to do an interview and they sent the car to pick me up, the driver would say something like, well, you know, I came to the United States from China 20 years ago, but if I knew back then where America would be today, I wouldn't have bothered coming. Or they come from Europe, or they come from Asia, they come from Latin America. People are very disappointed in America. They say, you know, your country is turning into the country that I ran from. Think about how profound and worrying that statement is. America is becoming almost indistinguishable from my home country. Now, I'm not saying it. They were with anger, regret, and frustration. I'm sorry that my children, they would tell me, are not growing up in the America that I came to 20 years ago. They may as well go back to my home country because there's almost no difference. can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Very upsetting. But for, for the Biden administration to demand Americans get vaccinated, you have to carry a vaccine passport because we have to cut down on the number of cases and we have to work towards uh, herd immunity. And we can only get to herd immunity when we reduce the number of people out there who haven't been vaccinated. And then they dump hundreds of thousands or more into our country who not only haven't been vaccinated but are sick. How do you reconcile that? Well, George Orwell had an interesting term for this. And he said, oh, goodness gracious, he called it double think. Double think. You heard of, you know, double your pleasure? Well, this is double think. No pleasure to be doubled here, folks. Double think, according to Orwell, means the power of holding two contradictory beliefs in one's mind simultaneously and accepting both of them. So in other words, you have to be comfortable with the idea that while we absolutely positively must do everything possible to get everybody possible vaccinated in America, and maybe wear masks, and maybe quarantine again, God only knows, and carry vaccine passports, and if people want to come legally from other countries, they must show proof of vaccination because we are in the middle of a pandemic and people are dying. This is critical. And in the middle of all that, the Biden administration is turning hundreds of thousands of aliens loose throughout the United States who have not been vaccinated and might even be sick with the COVID virus. Let that sink in. By the way, you have to have a document to prove that you were vaccinated, but you don't have to have a document, according to them, to prove who you are when you go vote. And full disclosure, I am a lifelong registered Democrat. I'm a labor guy. My dad and his buddies, the construction workers, are my heroes. Construction work is very dangerous. It's filthy. It's backbreaking. It's not easy. I remember my dad coming home at night bathed in sweat in the summertime. In the wintertime, he'd have icicles hanging off of his hat. They didn't wear hard hats back then. They wore flannel hats. And they stuffed newspapers in those hats to protect their heads, believe it or not. 
that they started to come out with the hard hats around the time that he passed away of lung cancer, in part because he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War. I literally carried him off his job his last day at work. He was so determined to support me and my mother with his last gasping breath. And his buddies were no different. And when I hear this crap about the work Americans won't do, and I look at the people spewing this garbage, it enrages me. Because those people who dare say those things wouldn't know an honest day's work if it jumped up and bit them in the groin. The work Americans won't do. No, what they leave out is the work Americans won't do for outrageously low wages under illegally dangerous conditions. How dare those American workers expect a living wage? What's wrong with them? Well, what this then does, if you wonder why kids today are thinking maybe communism is a solution, is number one, they were never taught what communism is. I'm sure they didn't know that Stalin, to control his people, killed tens of millions of his people. Think about this, folks. Think about this. And by the way, I don't really believe we live in a capitalist country anymore. That's part of the problem. We live in a corporate welfare state where money talks and BS walks. There was a professor at Princeton University, I'm going to say about a decade ago, who wrote an article wherein he said that America was no longer a republic but had become an oligarchy where the wealthy got whatever they want. I mean, I really believe that we need a new position in the cabinet, the official auctioneer, right, the official auctioneer. Because when you look at how much money gets pumped into political campaigns and candidates can't possibly wage a successful campaign for political office unless they get a lot of money, and then you have some politicians tell you cynically, oh, I don't take PAC money, political action committee money. I only take small amounts from, from constituents, you know, $20, etc." cetera. But the parties are getting the billions in PAC money, and then they distribute it to the party faithful who do as they're told. These aren't leaders. They're puppets. They're puppets. They do what they're told so that they could have that seat in the House or the Senate or wherever it is. They're puppets. And, and, and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi ought to be authoring a book together, similar to what Kennedy wrote. You know, the late John F. Kennedy wrote a book, Profiles in Courage. Nancy and Chuck could probably co-author a book, and they ought to be calling it Profiles in Cowardice. They're at the end of their political careers. The time comes, you have to pack it in. Nancy is about 80, the freezer chest queen with her ice cream. And Chuck Schumer, in his 70s, you know, you reach a point. I hated to give up my badge. A badge is a big deal to a federal agent or a police officer because it's who we are. It becomes a big part of our identity. It's part of how we live our lives. We put our lives on the line because of that badge and the oath that we take. Right? But there comes a time when it's over. The party's over. Pack it. And you've seen some really great television shows end, not because the ratings dropped, but because the people that were making the program wanted to go out at the top, not at the bottom. And you go out with dignity that way. So instead of standing their ground to the radical lunatics that have taken over, hijacked the Democrat Party, instead of standing up to the AOCs and all these others, the squad, what a name, the squad. And I'm sure you saw that one, I can't even think of her name, railing about how she's entitled to spend hundreds of thousand dollars on personal protection because she's been threatened, but meanwhile she wants to defund the police, but just don't defund her protection detail. Remarkable. Double think. 
hypocrisy, call it what you will, instead of doing what Schumer and Pelosi should have done, stand up to the squad and say, you people are nuts. You're young enough to be our grandchildren. Sit down, shut up, and learn what this is about before you start trying to push people around. They didn't do that. They will go as far to the left as they think they have to go to keep power for one more election. But eventually it ends. But all they can think about is that quest for power. They're so scared of losing their power and their position, they will do anything. Kind of like a prostitute. Prostitutes will assume any position, no matter how uncomfortable, illogical, or even dangerous, for the right price. Haven't I just described Nancy and Chuck and all these other yo-yos in Washington on both sides of the aisle who stand for nothing except winning the next election? That's not leadership, folks. It's certainly not leadership. It's cowardice of the worst kind because they're doing an awful lot of damage to America, to Americans, to their own children and their own grandchildren, governing under the influence, aren't they? The influence of money and their twisted egos. Their twisted egos. I don't get it. That's why when people offered me an opportunity to run for office, I was upset with myself that it took me a week to decide why in the world would I want to be down in that zoo? And it's not a swamp, by the way. Swamps are natural. They're part of the environment. There are critters that live in the swamp. The swamp is part of the food chain, the ecological system of our planet. If you got rid of the swamps, we'd all be doomed. So swamps are important and they're essential. No, Washington, D.C. and all these corrupt politicians live in a cesspool. Cesspools are artificial, and I can assure you, there is nothing good to be, to be found in a cesspool. And the stench, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. That's where we are today. And instead of doing what's right for America and Americans, look where we are. And we need to have the moral fiber to stand up. And when people say, oh, you're being a xenophobe, to explain very clearly this has nothing to do with xenophobia. The most likely victims of the crimes perpetrated by transnational criminals and point to fact are the members of the ethnic immigrant communities from all over the world. Why all over the world? Because they're coming from all over the world, and human nature is human nature, and I don't care what country, I don't care what ethnicity or religion or race or whatever, because human beings, when you get below the surface, are pretty much the same. We all bleed red, and every group has the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when the bad and the ugly move into that community, the most likely victims are the immigrants themselves. So please don't tell me it is anti-immigrant to want to enforce immigration laws that are designed to protect national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and wages of Americans and all those who are authorized to work in the United States, including immigrants. But the lies keep on coming, just like the nonsense about the border wall. And now... We've got Graham to see himself. Graham is, is something else in South Carolina. And, and he, he's come out and said, well, we can't possibly give lawful status to these millions of illegal aliens, except they call them the undocumented, unbelievable, Orwellian Newsweek, the undocumented, until we get control over the border. So here's the problem. What border are we talking about? Because with all the attention 
that we're giving to the Mexican border, and it's a disaster. It's a terribly dangerous place, and what's happening is the consequence is that America is being flooded with narcotics and criminals and bad guys and potentially terrorists. And then, by the way, here's one of the other great arguments. They've seized so many drugs at the ports of entry, we don't need a wall. Well, you know what you caught. You don't know what you didn't catch. And believe me, just because you're catching drugs at ports of entry doesn't mean that they aren't being smuggled in between ports of entry. But again, it's one of these idiotic things, and people have said that to me. Well, but isn't it true that most of the drugs are seized at ports of entry? I said, yes, because the stuff coming between ports of entry isn't getting stopped. It's just coming in. And if you don't believe it, look how pervasive the drug habit is across America. And if you want to know how corrupt America is, America did a good job of getting people to stop smoking and stop vaping. I I remember not long ago driving along and you'd see people vaping. It looked like a smoke screen inside the car in front of you. You'd look at the windows. They weren't even smoked up windows or, or, or tinted windows. It was smoke. The guy was, he had a cloud inside the car. He was vaping. And they'd open up the window, and a cloud would fly out of the window. People were vaping. And then the word spread about how dangerous vaping was, and people's lungs were collapsing. And all the vape shops that I saw in my neighborhood, just about all of them, with one or two exceptions, closed. People said, I'm not going to do that for myself. What, am I crazy? And they did the same thing with cigarette smoke. When I remember I was a kid, and I'm living in the house my parents bought when I was a kid. I used to go out every weekend with a broom and sweep up cigarette butts because people walking by would flip their butts into the curb or next to the sidewalk or whatever. And I'd go out there when I was a youngster with a broom and a, and a, and a dustpan, and I would, you know, get rid of all the cigarette butts because people were sloppy and, you know, they were just tossing their butts. If I find two or three in a week in front of my house now, it was a good day for, it was a good week for cigarette butts. People aren't smoking. Why? Because there was a massive focused campaign to educate people about the danger of cigarette smoke. I mean, there are still some fools who smoke, but my gosh, it's almost going the way of the dodo bird. People are stopping it because they were educated about the dangers. So here's my question. When was the last time you saw an effective commercial or read something in a magazine that convinced anybody to not use drugs? that warned about the dangers of opiates. Never. Why? I'll tell you what my hunch is. If you took drug money out of Wall Street banking and real estate, they'd go belly up. The economy is floating on drug money. And the drugs are killing children. The drugs are funding the gangs. The drugs are funding terrorist organizations. And they're destroying the lives of how many Americans? My God, it's breathtaking. And yet you don't see any commercials saying, please don't take drugs, it will kill you. It will destroy your brain. You will ruin your future. I could make a very compelling case. I still see these great commercials. The person that lost his vocal cords and they have a stoma, an opening in their throat that they speak through, so they have a mechanical device next to their neck, so they have a sort of human voice. And it's chilling to see that, you know, they're emaciated, and through that mechanical voice, they're saying, I smoked, and look at what happened to me, right? Chilling, scary. I can tell you, because we had informants who had been involved with drugs, we arrested people who were drug addicts, train wrecks, human train wrecks. I encountered a woman who had a master's degree in education, 
<clears throat> she was a, a drug courier for a Jamaican drug gang. You had to see a picture of this woman because we asked for her license. We, we raided the house. We had a search warrant. She walks in in the middle of it. Her driver's license, she looked like she could have been a cover uh, model. Gorgeous young woman with a master's degree, and she just broke down crying. She looked about 60 years old, and she wasn't 30. She had scars. She was suffering some kind of medical problems. Uh, I doubt she was going to live much longer, and she told me, and my partner, how she had children and her husband divorced her because of her drug habit and she became a prostitute. She had a master's degree. She was working on her doctoral degree as an educator, got hooked on drugs, and she was finished. Boy, oh, boy, imagine taping a conversation with that woman and putting it on TV. What happened to you when you used drugs? What happened to your life? That before and after photograph of this incredibly beautiful young woman uh, who was on death's doorstep when we encountered her. There were so many like that, so many tragic stories. I went home that night, and I, and I remember tossing my cookies. It, it, it sickened me to that point. I couldn't sleep. I was up all night. I felt so terrible for her. I felt so terrible for her children. And she's one of hundreds of thousands of people. I've traveled around the country, people telling me about family members who died of drug overdoses, children who died of drug overdoses, children who were orphaned because the parents became hooked on narcotics. There's no shortage of stories, and they're compelling, and they're horrific. So when was the last time you saw a commercial like that? The fact that there are no such commercials tells you as much as you need to know about how corrupt we've become as a country, how corrupt we've become as a society. It's outrageous. It's terrifying. And our good friends in China are happy to send the precursors to, the, to Mexico, the fentanyl. And fentanyl is so lethal that a small quantity can kill tens of thousands of people. It's that lethal. And the drug cartels are laundering their money through China now. What are we doing? I have to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, these are all self-inflicted wounds. And you have Joe Biden and you have Kamala Harris. Oh, huh, I've, been, I, I've never been to Europe, so why should I go to the border? If you remember that idiotic discussion. And she's going to give money to Central America because that's what's motivating people to come. And we don't know what's motivating people to come illegally. It might be poverty. And the solution to world hunger isn't to bring the world's poor to America. It isn't. There's such a thing as political asylum. That makes sense because of your race, religion, ethnicity, political views. Uh, if you come to America, we will offer you asylum. It's remarkable that the Cubans are being turned around by Alejandro Mayorkas, the secretary of the Department of Homeland Surrender. And if you read his bio, members of his family fled Cuba because of communism in Cuba. So he's the guy that's turning the Cubans around but welcoming Central Americans and people from all the rest of the world. As long as you come across the Mexican border, just don't try to take a boat into Florida because DHS and the Coast Guard will turn you around. The inconsistencies are staggering, staggering. So we are flooding America with illegal aliens, some of whom may be economic refugees, and there's no such thing, some of whom may be fugitives from justice, some of whom may be members of gangs looking to set up shop in America, 
some of whom may be sleeper agents who are coming waiting for the tap on the shoulder or other message telling them that tomorrow's the day. Think about that as we approach the 20th anniversary of the terror attacks of 9-11. That is remarkable. Well over a 1,000 family members of 9-11 victims have told Joe Biden that they don't want him to attend any ceremonies concerning 9-11 unless he releases the documents about Saudi involvement in 9-11 because there's been a lot of material out there hinting at the fact that Saudi Arabia uh, had a role, or at least Saudis did, and so forth. So they're right. We should know. We should know whether or not Saudi Arabia was involved. This is supposed to be a country of free speech and free... Of course, that's why they want to go after the First Amendment. They want people. You're so concerned about the Second Amendment, and I share your concerns, but you should be at least as concerned about the First Amendment. And is not the First Amendment under attack? See, the whole point is that we have to be able to question our leaders. And they don't want you to question anybody, even though Voltaire said that you judge a person's intelligence by the questions they ask. But question authority means holding authority accountable. Do you think that these crooks in politics want to be held accountable? Does Kamala Harris look like somebody who's looking for accountability? How about Andy Cuomo? Wow. Now, there's a whole story all by itself, isn't there? So, so what are we really dealing with here? And if they can screw elections up, what it really ends, I want you to think about in these terms, it's not just winning elections, it's about no longer being accountable. Because in theory, in a democracy, and I know there's going to be people saying, no, this is a republic, but it's a democratic process, folks. So don't get too excited. Don't, don't, don't get your knickers twisted. In a democratic process, you get rid of bad leaders by voting them out of office because they do things you disagree with. But if they can skew the election results, then they can do terrible things, confident that because they can control the outcome of the election, there will be no accountability. Elections, folks, are about accountability. No one talks about it that way, but I want you to think about it that way. Because in the end, it's through elections that we hold these politicians accountable. So if they can skew the elections, what did Stalin say? It's not a matter of who votes. It's a matter of who counts the vote. So when people say you should have to show ID to vote, they start screaming about Jim Crow, and they start screaming about voter suppression. But they want you to carry a passport around that shows whether or not you've been vaccinated. And now there's been reports about people getting fake vaccination passports how about fake travel passports and and fake green cards and fake voter id they don't want to talk about that again we come back to double think we come back to hypocrisy we come back to hypocrisy and one of the issues that i would love for you to think about when you're watching everything going on on the border the mexican border remember we have a canadian border not much reporting up there We have 95,000 miles of coastline. How many boats are showing up along our shores, not even at seaport necessarily, through seaports, but also just along the coastline? Think about the potential for a fishing boat to go out with a half dozen fishermen, and they disappear, and they come back late at night. And if you happen to watch the boat, instead of the six people on the boat, maybe now there's 26 people on the boat. Wow, how did that happen? Well, perhaps they went outside the international limit, right? 
and pick people up on another boat and return to the shoreline. Does it go on? I can assure you it does. I can't give you specifics or whatever, but that's a vulnerability. That's a vulnerability. We had the boat, the Golden Venture, that washed up on the shores of Rockaway going back about 25, 30 years ago. Look it up, the Golden Venture, New York. You'll see. But the bigger issue, too, is how many people are getting visas at consulates and U.S. embassies who should not be getting the visas. Normally, people apply for a visa, and a consular official reviews the application and maybe denies the application because the person uh, has factors in their background that make them excludable, going back to that section of law, Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. But what if, because of the policies of this administration, the Biden administration is telling those consular officials, approve everything? If you think it's far-fetched, realize that when Alejandro Mayorkas ran Citizenship and Immigration Services, that's the branch of DHS that adjudicates applications for citizenship, green cards, political asylum, and so forth. He instructed his subordinates, you will get to yes, you will approve those applications. He was investigated by the Office of Inspector General and found he was guilty of wrongdoing. Wrongdoing. And the issue was raised during the confirmation procedures, but with the Democrats in control, good old Alejandro just sailed right on through the process, even though the Office of Inspector General had found against him. So this is now the guy that's running the entire Department of Homeland Security. And if you go to Front Page Magazine, you can see I've written about him. And I said that under Mayorkas, DHS would truly become the Department of Homeland Surrender. I hate being right. There's a wonderful line in the movie I, Robot with Will Smith in the role of, uh, of the police officer who realizes there's a threat being posed by these robots. And when it hits the fan, he has this great line in the movie, somehow I told you so, doesn't quite say it. Well... Look at who Mayorkas is and look at what he's doing. So my question is, even though State Department runs the embassies and consulates, with this administration's mindset, I'd love someone on the Republican side to have the Congressional Research Service or the GAO do a study and find out what do the visa denial rates look like. I'd love to find out what the the turnaround rates are at international airports and other ports of entry. Because just because you have a visa doesn't mean you have to be admitted. Again, the guide is Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. So it's not just the Mexican border. And we just had a story, and I, and I cited it. If you, if you go to my little announcement, um, I, I cited it on the, um, uh, you know, on the website for my radio program about how um, individuals charged in superseding indictment, nine individuals charged in superseding indictment with conspiring to act as illegal aliens of the People's Republic of China. And the subtitle, PRC prosecutor, that's the People's Republic of China, allegedly traveled to the United States. Traveled to the United States. So he crossed our borders with what kind of a visa? Who gave him the visa? So he traveled to the United States and directed stalking of U.S. residents and obstructed criminal investigations. So if, if you check that out and you click on that link on the, the Michael Cutler Hour uh, notice for today's show, you'll be able to read that DOJ press release. 
they came to this country. In one case, they brought a family member with them. They coerced this family member to come and tried to convince a Chinese citizen in the United States to go back to China because they wanted to put him on trial. It was a rendition. I wrote about how Iranian uh, tried to do the same thing of a kidnapping of a naturalized American who was originally from Iran, who's a dissident, and has been highly critical of the Iranian regime. So understand what's happening. Because of laxity in the visa process, something that the 9-11 Commission warned about, by the way, folks, remember I provided testimony to the Commission, and one of the issues that I focused on was immigration fraud. In point of fact, on May 20th, 1997, I was asked to participate in my very first congressional hearing. I didn't provide a prepared statement for that hearing. And all others afterwards I did. Here I was just there to answer some questions for the members of the subcommittee. Doris Meisner, who had been the commissioner, resisted strenuously, absolutely was adamant she did not want me to go to Congress and speak to the Congress about the practices of the old INS. In fact, it was interesting. I was told to report to immigration headquarters in Washington before the hearing. And I happened to pass Commissioner Meisner in the hallway, and I said to her, good morning, Commissioner, and if looks could kill, she would have vaporized me on the spot. But eventually I did go testify, and the focus of that hearing was visa fraud and immigration benefit fraud. Why? Because of two terror attacks carried out in the United States in 1993. First, we have a guy by the name of Mir Amil Kansi, a Pakistani national who applied for political asylum, bought into a courier van service, and that van had a, a ticket on the, or, or a permit that allowed that van to be parked at the CIA parking lot so they could deliver packages. And in January 93, this guy pulled into the lot, Kansi, jumped out of the van early in the morning as CIA officers were coming on duty, pulled out an AK-47, opened fire, killed two CIA officers, wounded three others, and fled the country. Bad guys from other countries do that. They have an escape hatch that Americans don't have. He was tracked down. He was brought back. He was put on trial. He was found guilty and executed, but it didn't bring back the dead, and it didn't heal the wounds of those he had injured. And one month later, we had the first bombing at the World Trade Center. It injured over 1,000 people, killed six people, and inflicted over a half billion, that's $500 million worth of damage. In fact, the tower almost came down sideways, and had that happened, God only knows, we might have had hundreds of thousands of fatalities. The seawall uh, might have ruptured, and the Hudson River may well have flooded lower Manhattan. God only knows what that would have done. <clears throat> so this was a very serious terror attack, and it was the precursor, of course, for 9-11. So everybody knew that all of the aliens, and this was purely carried out by aliens, not white supremacists, by the way, um, they all, one way or another, gamed the immigration system. They lied about their identities. They lied about their backgrounds. They provided multiple false identity documents. They lied about their claims for political asylum. It was lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. It's called immigration fraud. But nobody talks about it. They're not talking about it to this day. And you have Lindsey Graham saying, oh, we need to give these people legal status. So we're going to take a system that is already overwhelmed and dump tens of millions of applications into this system and adjudicate the applications to give these people lawful status. 
in direct violation of the findings of the 9-11 Commission that said the mere act of filing for an immigration benefit generally sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country while the application was being adjudicated. And during that time, those aliens could make contact, acquire money, acquire materials, and basically scope out locations as they went about deadly preparations to carry out an attack. 19 hijackers on 9-11, folks, killed more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And Lindsey Graham is out there already making noises about a massive legalization program. And there's been other Republicans. There was a woman um, who just won the seat, I believe, from Florida. Oh, we have to legalize these people. And she's a Republican, so please don't give me this Democrat versus Republican. They're all in on this. We could be looking at an influx of 100 million kids if we legalize 25 million aliens, and on average they have four kids each, and there will be zero interviews and zero um, field investigations. How many terrorists do you need to destroy America after what we saw on 9-11? Simple question. I was recently on a television program, and the reporter said to me, well, you know, you're a restrictionist. And she said that to the audience. Well, you know, full disclosure, Mr. Cutler's a restrictionist. I'm a restrictionist because I'd like to see only people uh, enter who are here legally. And I'd like to make certain that when we give visas to people, we know who we're giving the visas to, and we make damn sure that we don't create opportunities for foreign workers to compete unfairly with Americans. That's part of the law right now. Aliens coming to work cannot work if there are American workers ready, willing, and able in that geographical area to do the work. So when they say we have to modernize the immigration law, you know what they're talking about? Removing that clause that shields American workers from foreign competition. Alan Greenspan back in 2009 said we needed to do that. He said high-tech workers are making too much money. The problem is we're shielding them from foreign competition. If we could get rid of that shield, we could greatly reduce wage inequality between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. So in other words, the worker with the MBA, the worker who's got a Ph.D. in biochemistry, should not be earning appreciably more than the high school dropouts. To each according to his needs, from each according to his ability. It's called communism. That's where we are today. So while we're concerned and should be concerned about the Mexican border, folks, we should also be looking at the other elements of the immigration system, what I call the immigration colander. There are so many holes in that system, and they all need to be plugged, and nothing less than the survival of America and Americans hangs in the balance. This isn't a statement of xenophobia or bigotry or racism. Here's a question that I'd like you to ask politicians and talk to your neighbors about this one. When you hear about what the immigrants would like and how they're coming for a better life, and I understand what motivates them, why doesn't anyone ask what do Americans want and how would a massive influx of foreign workers and foreign students impact the lives, wages, and education and health care of Americans? Lincoln talked about America being a country of the people, by the people, and for the people. I don't think he was just talking about the mega-wealthy. Food for thought. Please get involved, folks. Democracy is not a spectator sport. I'm counting on you to do your share to educate your friends, neighbors, and family members. Have a great weekend. I look forward to seeing you again next week.
right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. So long for now.